0: What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back
1: into time. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode from the WW Radio Archives. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 729. And this week and every week, I'm going to select an evergreen episode from the archives to share with you that maybe you haven't heard before or one that you haven't heard in a long time. From interviews to top 10s, relevant reviews, guides, wayback machines and more. It's a great way to visit or revisit some of our favorite episodes and experiment with a few different types of content and formats, including a quick top five show, a solo show, maybe even some Disney in a minute segments in audio formats, reviews of movies and Disney plus shows and specials. And of course, I'll take some ideas and inspiration from you and go from there. But as for this week i'm going to open up the archives again and some questions and conversations in the Radio clubhouse on facebook this week prompted me to pull this show from the archives as jim corkus and i virtually visit disney's hollywood studios on show number 327 back in 213 where we celebrated the 25th anniversary of who framed roger rabbit and this episode was recorded live at disney's hollywood studios so i invite you to take a stroll through the studios with us and look back on the movie's history, Roger's presence in the studios and elsewhere around the parks, both current in 2013 and extinct, what might have been and what the future might hold, at least from a 2013 perspective, for Roger Rabbit in the Disney parks. It'll be interesting to listen back and see how things may have developed and or changed since we recorded 10 years ago. But for a much more important and meaningful reason, I also wanted to feature an episode with my longtime friend and guest on the show, Jim Corcus. Jim is not only one of the most knowledgeable Disney historians and wonderful raconteur and storyteller and the author of dozens of books about Disney history, but Jim is a good man. And I shared recently that after suffering a fall and very long recovery in the hospital, as well as multiple heart bypasses, um, Jim has been diagnosed with inoperable stage four colon cancer that has also spread to his liver. Um, I visited with Jim for a few hours earlier this week, and he's going to be starting chemotherapy in the next few weeks. And he's also very concerned about uh, mounting bills. And I also wanted to share that a GoFundMe has been created and formed to help him with some hospital and, and home expenses. I created a very easy link to So find out more at www.radio.com slash help Jim and any assistance that you can provide would be greatly appreciated. And while you may have never met Jim, um, he has been a friend of mine and hopefully yours since the very beginning and is a member of our extended family and anything you could do to help, whether it be through prayer, his GoFundMe, or just spreading the word to others would be greatly appreciated. There's also a full thread and discussion uh, about Jim and what's going on with him in the WW Radio Clubhouse And as for this week's episode and Roger Rabbit, I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, his presence in the parks, maybe his future presence in the parks. You can share your thoughts in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 and share your story and thoughts on the show. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode from the archives On the WW Radio Show. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way.
2: Please, don't worry. Whatever you say, yes, ma'am. Aye, aye, sir. Okie (laughs) dokie. If the Magic Kingdom turning 40 and Epcot turning 30 didn't make you feel old, I'm going to help you feel that way right now. Because Roger Rabbit is 25 years old this year. Actually, not Roger himself, but the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I think many of us are probably familiar with some of the other Disney Rabbits, like Pooh's Friend, Rabbit, The White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, Br'er Rabbit, one of my favorites, Thumper from Bambi, and of course... Oswald, the Lucky Rabbit. But did you know that at one time, Roger Rabbit wasn't just going to be Disney's next big star, but he also had a considerable presence inside the Walt Disney World theme parks. So this week, we're going to go back in time. We're going to take a look at the history of Robert Roger on screen and in the parks. We're going to talk about what was, what might have been, and where you can still find him today. And joining me here at Disney's Hollywood Studios... Sitting in the shadow of the Maroon Studios sign, or what's left of it, is a man who really isn't all that bad. He's just drawn that way. He is historian, author, all-around nice guy, Mr. Jim Corcus. <laughs> Please! <laughs> well, I Notice you... I didn't say impression. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with good reason there, uh, 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 too. Yeah, great to see you, Lou. And, and, and of course, like uh, all... Uh, uh, Disney characters. Roger doesn't have a uh, age. He is timeless. timeless. But, but yes, uh, 1988, 25 years ago, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out, and of course, you know, the uh, uh, new Blu-ray uh, this year. Th- this is a year of a lot of uh, anniversaries and birthdays, but uh, I-, I think one of the things that uh, I'm-, I'm happy we-, we can talk about here today is uh, when people talk about uh, Roger Rabbit, they don't talk about his uh, uh, presence in the in the Disney theme parks and Roger literally had a very very short life span uh, in the theme parks 1988 to 1992 after 1992 uh, they, it was uh, hair today gone tomorrow that that was about <laughs> it and and there's a a wonderful behind-the-scenes uh, story about that, and, and, and the story of uh, uh, Roger Rabbit actually encompasses everything from uh, uh, the Rocketeer to uh, Michael Eisner's uh, uh, ego to uh, uh, the, new, uh, uh, the newly formed uh, Disney television animation to, to all over the place. So, so this is a, a wonderful tale, and, and the only place people will be able to hear it is here at uh, WDW Radio.
2: And, you know, the interesting thing is, is having sort of a relatively short lifespan in the parks it was not part of the original plan because, you know, when the film came out, Jim, it was hugely popular. Uh, you know, one of the top grossing films of that year, if not the top, I mean, it's like $150 million, sort of far exceeding what Disney thought that film was really going to do.
0: Uh, a- absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, you know, it it was one of those. I don't know if this is going to work or not, which is why uh, Michael Eisner uh, negotiated with uh, Steven Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment, and so Amblin Entertainment was going to pick up half the cost, and in exchange for picking up uh, half the cost, they would have half the ownership of uh, any of the original, you know, Roger Rabbit characters like Roger and uh, Jessica and Baby Herman and. Uh, some of the others and, and and some of that concept and Eisner thought he was being uh, uh, pretty business savvy because uh, Disney only had to invest you know 50% and and Eisner uh, thought Spielberg when is Spielberg Spielberg's a huge Disney fan when is he ever going to get involved with animation you know we'll be able to do this we'll be able to create this nice business relationship uh, with Spielberg, in fact, uh, Amblin um, uh, produced the very first uh, Hollywood Pictures release, the Disney uh, Pictures uh, uh, release. But, but yes, right up until the end, the, there was the, the feeling of, oh, no, oh my gosh, this uh, uh, you know, is not going to work, which is again is one of the reasons that the film wasn't even released as a Disney film. It was a Disney subsidiary you know, that this was re- released uh, uh, as. And, uh, again, a huge hit. Came out June 1988. By fall 1988, there was a costumed Roger in the parks. And uh, to show you how in love Eisner was with, with Roger Rabbit, June 1988, the film comes out. Um, in November of 1988... On NBC is the big um, Mickey's 60th birthday special. They rewrote the special to feature Roger Rabbit and they rushed to do animation. So, Roger, of course, uh, at the beginning, you know, pushes out this big birthday cake and instead of putting in candles, puts in dynamite and it blows up. And Mickey uses the sorcerer hat to restore things, but that also sends Mickey on this adventure where. People have forgotten who Mickey is, and he has to do it down. But, yeah, between June and November, doing a bunch of animation, rewriting an entire special, coming up with a a character, and and the very first Roger Rabbit costume had crazy eyes. (laughs) Uh, um, Jeff Katzenberg had a picture taken with it, but crazy eyes. So already, you know, just months after the film release... You've got Roger on TV in, in new Disney animation. You've got him in the parks. And yet, by 1992, all gone.
2: Well, and that's the thing, too. You know, Disney realizes it, the movie is so popular. Nominated for a Golden Globe for, for Best Picture. Hoskins was nominated for, for Best Actor. It made sense to bring him in to the parks that quickly. They were able to sustain the character with some of the shorts, like Tummy Trouble. And if you look at some of the early promo stuff for Disney-MGM Studios... There's pictures of not just Michael Eisner with Mickey Mouse, but Roger Rabbit is right there alongside him as well.
0: Yeah, and and, and again, there there were all sorts of uh, uh, awards uh, for Roger. Best Screenplay for the Writers Guild uh, Award. Uh, uh, Charles uh, Fleischer was nominated for Best Supporting Comedy Actor in the American Comedy Awards. Things like that. Yes, very well done. And Michael Eisner immediately thinks, this could be my Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And uh, so, of course, uh, you've got Disney MGM Studios opening in in 89. And again, it's uh, devoted to the Hollywood that uh, never was but always will be. But basically the Hollywood of the the 30s and the 40s. And, of course, uh, Roger Rabbit, uh, the film, is set in 1947. And there are references to a, a little earlier time periods in there as well. So, yes, a perfect fit. For, for Disney MGM, and you're absolutely right. All of the early publicity, you have uh, Roger Rabbit, and this just seems like this is going to be such a perfect fit, being in a 40s environment and all of this, and and he'll sort of be the mascot of this park, but he'll also be appearing in um, uh, other parts of Disney parks
2: as well. And we'll talk, we'll, we'll get to sort of the, the Roger Rabbit that almost was, that was here, mm-hmm. but let's sort, of, let's sort of go back to... The opening of the studios to go back to 1989, and although there was no Roger Rabbit specific attraction in the park, you could find references to Roger all throughout. Let's sort of go back in time, and some of them are still here. Right, we'll talk about some of the ones that are still Mm -hmm. here, and some of the ones that we've lost along the way. We might as well start. We picked this location on the corner of Keystone Street and Echo Park Drive, appropriately enough. We said at the beginning, in the shadow of the Maroon Studios. Billboard, but this is just one of a couple of references right in this general area. Right, I, I, of course, the most uh, obvious one and the one um,
0: that still sort of survives today that people love is is right above uh, Hollywood and Vine, and you, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, iconic scenes in the film is uh, Roger in uh, um, the uh, studio office finds out that Jessica uh, may have been cheating on him and so he bursts through the window and through the blinds and and leaves the the silhouette behind. And uh, so we have that recreated here right above uh, the Hollywood and Vine uh, restaurant. And uh, uh, of course the office that uh, um, Roger was in was Eddie Valiant who uh, was the um, uh, investigator. However the joke was a lot stronger then than it is today, because uh, when the uh, uh, studio opened in, in 89, right above Hollywood and Vine, you'll see in one of the windows, uh, it says no actors, because the upper uh, uh, offices and, and rooms you would you would rent out to, to various uh, uh, businesses. And uh, so, of course, especially in the 30s and 40s, you don't want to rent to actors, because they're of low moral character, and they'll be partying all night, and they'll skip out on the bill and, and uh, things like that. So actually that was a sign that existed in Hollywood in the 40s. Now, to, to punch that up, by Roger's silhouette, they had a little sign that said, No Tunes. So you get the gag. Oh, no actors, and you look down through the windows, oh, No Tunes. And what makes it even funnier is it's by Eddie Valiant's office. And again, in the 40s, right before his adventures with Roger, uh, Eddie Valiant didn't care for tunes. But uh, to show you how fragile this type of storytelling is, um, there, there was uh, uh, a uh, vice president at uh, uh, the studios who one day took a look at that up there and said, no tunes? Why do we have that up there? That makes no sense whatsoever. We love tunes. And in fact, we're, we're, we're thinking of doing a, a, a tune uh, a breakfast here at Hollywood. But Take that away. And, and so they did. Now, uh, of course, the silhouette up there, uh, Lou and I spent some time before we did this podcast walking around the park, just checking to make sure things were there. And uh, I don't know about you, Lou, but I'm sort of
2: disappointed in that silhouette up there now. So it's, it's odd because if we look back at some of the old pictures, it very clearly is the outline of Roger Rabbit. And, and over the years, Roger, he's let himself go. It, it's, a, it's somewhat misshapen. And we were sort of questioning how or why that couldn't have, could have happened and why it's not sort of as clear as it was back when the old no tune sign was there.
0: And, and, and why that hasn't been um, restored uh, and uh, uh, also right next to it, Ellie Valiant's window, we're, we're, we're seeing some of the uh, uh, lettering up there chipped away. But you know, uh, I, I was talking with Lou earlier that that's only part of the gag because if you see where Roger is breaking through the window, if you follow in a straight line, it goes right past the Maroon Studios billboard, but if you go, follow it right backstage... It goes right to the exact location of the Feature Animation Florida uh, building. And on the side of the building, and again, I haven't been back there in in, uh, uh, three years. I was laid off three years ago. But the last time I was back there, it was still there. It was there in 1989. On the side of the animation building is the black silhouette. The same size, the exact same pose. So Roger is obviously rushing out of Eddie's office because he's late for filming backstage because uh, two of the Roger Rabbit shorts were done here. And another thing that we weren't able to go back and check that was Roger Rabbit connected is right around the corner from that silhouette is um, uh, Brigitte's uh, garden. Uh, Brigitte Hardy was an uh, animator working on the uh, uh, Roger Rabbit shorts. And uh, as she was uh, finishing up... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, second one, she, pa- she was diagnosed and passed away uh, uh, with cancer. And so Max Howard, who was in charge back in the day, uh, uh, fought for and created a little uh, uh, garden back there called Brigitte's Garden. So I don't know if that uh, survives today or not. But uh, again, the window over um, Hollywood and Vine still exists in some form today, and that's a reference to Roger Rabbit. But also in this area, we have...
2: Right, so the, the Maroon Studios. And it's funny how you're able to literally connect the dots because I didn't realize about the silhouette backstage. Like you said, it's where the second and third films were made. Rollercoaster, Rabbit, and Trail mix up again. This idea that the, the, the character of Roger was very much going to continue not just on screen but in the parks. Um, of course, it's back when animation was actually done here at the studios. And many of us lament uh, the loss of that. But yeah, so the Maroon Studios sign, if you look at it now... It's a very faded sort of pink with Baby Herman, Roger Rabbit, Jessica Rabbit. It's beautifully done, right? even sort of illustrate how the, 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 um, the typefaces are different for each of the characters. But back in 1989, we're, we're, you know, I have some pictures that we're looking at. You see that the, the sign was, in fact, the color maroon. There were different layers and such deep, rich colors. And over time, it's faded. And we sort of talked about the upkeep of that. I think we could argue, according to story, maybe since the 40s, the sign has faded from its original glory.
0: Well, and and certainly you and I have faded from our original glory (laughs) as well. But uh, yes, and and the signs right down there at the the front of uh, Hollywood Boulevard, the Hollywood land sign, and the uh, uh, one uh, Hollywood canteen and all of that 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 are at the front of the park, those are also uh, sun-faded. And I I wish somebody would uh, think about touching them up, but again... You know, would that attract more guests to the parks or not? Now, the Maroon Studios thing is up there as well, and it's in that particular location right above uh, Peavey's because if you had x-ray vision and you could look through Peavey's, you would see Sunset Boulevard. And we're going to be talking about this a little later, but Sunset Boulevard was supposed to actually be something else and the Maroon Studios sign here was a foreshadowing of what you were going to see just on the other side uh, of this billboard. And, and the billboard is wonderful. There's individual style of lettering for Baby Herman and Roger Rabbit and, and uh, uh, Jessica Rabbit. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, just amazing. And, you know, you talk about things that, that might have been. You know that Spielberg and Zemeckis' first choice for Eddie Valiant was Bill Murray. But Bill Murray doesn't have an agent, doesn't have a manager, so they couldn't track him down. Years later, when Bill Murray found out about this, apparently he just started yelling, I would have done that! I would have done that! And uh, they auditioned for Judge uh, uh, Doom, Tim Curry, Mm And Tim Curry was just so frightening, Scarier. scary, that, no, they just didn't uh, want that. And and again, in the... And Pee Wee Herman
2: was almost Roger... Uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: absolutely. Yes, Paul Rubens. Uh, the first go-round for uh, Roger Rabbit, uh, they auditioned Paul Rubens was going to uh, do that voice. And again, the design of the character was going to be completely different. Uh, this design... Uh, you know, uh, Richard Williams, who is the animation director, calls this a Frankenstein bunny because they use bits and pieces of other uh, characters uh, to create a sort of a false familiarity when, when you see it. And so, uh, of course, the, the reason that Roger is dressed in uh, yellow and red and uh, white and black is because whatever other famous...
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, he, he was going to be, you know, the counterpart to Mickey Mouse, there the new Mickey go.
0: Mouse. He was going to actually be the new Mickey Mouse, and, uh, and Eisner saw him uh, uh, as that way. And so uh, immediately, you know, they started to put, um, uh, in, in 89, uh, have him here, have the, those elements. There were some other elements here in, in 1989, though.
2: So let's start sort of virtually walking through the the park, and the next sort of stop, uh, logically, I think, would be the great movie ride. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talk about how, again, the studios were so different initially, when you could be walking around, and you you would see the star of a day, and, and where people were coming out, and they were having the celebrity handprints being put into the courtyard. Well, Roger Rabbit, like many other famous celebrities, like Kermit the Frog and Jim Neighbors, he too has his... Uh, handprints and footprints on there dated May 1st, 1989 mm-hmm. with his trademark, and I'll let you do the impression of please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I, I took my one shot uh, uh, at that. But, but yes, Roger literally put his uh, uh, hand and footprints uh, in, uh, and, and again, to, it's very prominent. It's right in the center, right, uh, uh, right uh, at the entrance there. Uh, he put it there on uh, the very first uh, uh, day. And, and, of course, while we did have a walk around Roger Rabbit, we did not have a walk around Jessica. If, if we did, then the line would have been out of the park and all the way to Epcot at this particular point of people coming in for, uh, for meet and greet. However, there was an opportunity for you to uh, uh, get your picture taken with Jessica.
2: Yeah, back, so the old Looney Bin, which is now the the area, the sort of the gift shop at the end of uh, the backstage tour, was very much themed towards that Acme factory. And there was that cutout of Roger Rabbit, much like the the silhouette here, and a a, a, sort of a standee up against the brick wall where you can take a picture next to Jessica. Uh,
0: Actually, you got uh, uh, two chances because I was out here in 89 and I got my chance twice. Uh, (laughs) One... uh, uh, you, uh, as as uh, Lou was saying, you're you're going into the Acme warehouse, and actually, after you left the tram ride, you could see Roger's footprints on the ground, leading you into the Acme warehouse and into the part of the Acme warehouse which is called uh, uh, the Looney Bin, and and very much like um, later Mickey's Toontown uh, had, uh, there were boxes where you could uh, open it and you'd get a spring sound or laughter or or, or things like that. So. A lot of those items then made it to, to Mickey's uh, Toontown a, a couple of years uh, later. But yes, up against the wall, you had a couple of photo opportunities. You had the dip mobile mm-hmm. that had broken through the, the brick wall so you could literally put yourself underneath the rollers as mm-hmm. if you were going to be be squashed. And they had a, um, a full-size standee of, of Jessica and behind her as Lou said, there there was uh, a hole in the wall with, uh, uh, again, Roger's uh, silhouette. And so you could stand next there and, and take uh, your picture with Jessica. Or just directly across from that, they had a photo imaging place. And so just like today with PhotoPass, you know, they say, hold your hand here. And then when you get the picture, oh, my gosh, Tinkerbell is in your hand. In this, you went over, and in my case... Uh, put on the uh, Eddie Valiant uh, trench coat and hat and they tell you to pose and you're posing with thin air over here basically. <laughs> Move your hand up a little this way whatever and then when the picture comes out you're actually holding uh, Jessica Rabbit and, and she's done up uh, uh, very much in like a, a 3D uh Animation, so it's not a hand drawn type thing, and you could also get your picture in Benny. But how, why would you want your picture in Benny the Cab when you can get it next to, to, to Jessica Rabbit? So, there were all those uh, things there. Uh, very few things um, still left uh, in, in uh, the loony bin when we took a look today, right?
2: Yeah, so some of the gags are still there. Uh, most literally, I think the ton of bricks that's hanging overhead, mm-hmm. some of the bombs, and a couple of the, of the crates on the wall but it, it's very much not themed, it's not meant to be sort of that direct connection to the film anymore. Uh,
0: yes, un, un, unfortunately, and so that that was a, uh, a fun place. Also in there, they had a um, uh, a black vehicle, uh, again, with cut-out standees, uh, of the Toon Patrol uh, vehicle that the Weasels uh, drive in the movie, and so they had cut-out standees of uh, at, at least two of the Weasels, as I, as I recall, so you could go over and you could pose near the uh, uh, Toon Patrol vehicle, and again, it was the actual one used uh, uh, in the movie, and uh, we found that that's someplace else now, right?
2: Yeah, but I want to just quickly, before we head okay. over to the other, because I want to, as long as we're standing here by the, the back lot tour, yeah, back when it was a two-hour walking tour and tram <laughs> tour and a residential street, uh, you could also find a lot of authentic props from the film itself, too. You could find... Eddie, uh, Eddie Valiant's car, you could find uh, some of the red car trolleys as well back there, too. When it sort of that boneyard had a lot more to it.
0: No, you're, you're, and, and, and again, you know, we sacrifice for the listeners at WDW Radio. We actually went on the back lot uh, tram tour. Uh, for, for me, it's been uh, a couple of years. I, I think it has been uh, for Lou. And actually, as we went uh, back there, uh, I pointed out a uh, hidden. Roger Rabbit reference uh, uh, for Lou. We're, we're looking at... Uh, tried to get him out there, you know, to dress up in the raincoat and get <laughs> soaked and take a picture, but he's done that before, I've done that before, been there, done that. So anyway, we're looking at that, that scene, and it's the harbor attack, which, of course, is is based on on, on the, uh, you know, uh, uh, World War Two type thing. And, uh, uh, of course, harbor, of course... Uh, Sort of refers to Pearl Harbor, and you know there were plans to do a Roger Rabbit sequel, and it got very, very close to being green lit however, and it was going to be done with uh, uh, CGI animation and uh, Eisner took a look at the uh, the budget and it was going to be like a hundred million and in those days, one hundred million was really something it 's not like today where you can spend $300 million to have Johnny Depp play uh, Tonto. Uh, $100 million and, and Eisner said, you know, that's not a good investment. What we're going to do is we're going to take that money and invest it in Pearl Harbor, which cost $148 million. But But yeah, back backstage you you could uh, uh, sometimes the dip mobile was out there as well too, but um, uh, in the boneyard they had uh, uh, the blue cars, Eddie Valiant's cars, and as uh, Lou said, the the, the red car out there. So so there were uh, uh, some references. But, yes, where you could actually take a picture was the uh, jet black uh, uh, Toon Patrol car.
2: And like you said, there is a second. The real tune Patrol car has been here, and it's still here. And I think we, we went by this before, too, because it's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people walk right by it or sit right by it and don't know where it's from. Because if you go to the Backlot Express in between the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular and the Star Tours The Adventure Continues, uh, Backlot Express sitting outside in that lower level seating area is this large black car from the 1940s. But we were looking at old pictures and we were talking about how we remember. At one point, it said Tune Patrol on the side and had sort of that circular sticker indicating that, you know, it was the weasel's car. And now it's just
0: your car. It's anybody's <laughs> car uh but uh again uh, uh this is a a restaurant which again is themed to uh you know uh, uh this is where they do the the props and the painting and and all of that so that outside area is a paint area inside there's another paint area uh there there's also an area inside um that is devoted uh to uh, stunts and we cr- ran across another Roger Rabbit reference
2: yeah. So again, this is another one. Unless you look very closely inside Batcloud Express, there's a number of sort of different rooms. So it's like the stunt room, the paint room, all the way in, in sort of the back, far left corner. It looks to be sort of a very strange looking Doom buggy, but it actually was the vehicle that they used to film Bob Hoskins sort of driving Benny the Cab.
0: Absolutely. And it, again, it's the authentic one. And. Uh, there are uh, uh, photos around there too, so so that you can see. So Hoskins w- was in the live-action uh, uh, vehicle, and and it again, it, it was designed so it could you know do real quick turns and spins and and things like this. And then what would happen in those old days before computer-generated animation is you would take the cell and you would put it you know over uh, that vehicle, and so it would cover that up. So all you would see is. Is Benny the cab, and and of course, um, uh, it drove uh, Hoskins crazy because all he was holding in his hand was a rubber steering wheel, it wasn't connected to anything else. And he had to act with Roger, the invisible Roger who is sitting next to him, and with Benny the cab. And of course, you have the driver sitting down behind you. And if you look closely at one of the uh, photos they have up there, you'll see the driver behind Hoskins. But his face is covered with a black mask. His body is covered with this whole black leotard, you know, so it's easier to mask that out. And uh, that stunt driver was uh, Charlie, and I'm going to spell his last name. It was uh, C-R-O-U-G-H-W-E-L-L. So I'm not going to Smith. It's Smith. <laughs> and so um, he, he was the one who, who was uh, uh, doing all of that stuff. And... Uh, uh, you have that, and and in fact, uh, one of the things that we discovered that I don't remember being back there is uh, th- there's a, a a kids drawing area,
2: right? Yeah, and I'll post some pictures uh, in the show notes over at www.radio.com because I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen these. I didn't remember the drawing area here there too, where you could draw Roger and Benny the Cab, sort of uh, sort of a miniature animation lesson. Yes,
0: yeah, so uh, you know you 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 never know, and and again, make sure you you take a look at at all of the photos up there because there are a couple of black and white photos and you can actually see the stunt driver sitting behind uh, uh, Hoskins a- as it goes. But again, this is uh, the actual authentic prop. It's not covered with plexiglass. It's, I, I tried to convince <laughs> Lou to sit in it. I, I told him I would I would sit in the stunt driver's thing and he could post the picture and say... <laughs> Corcus drives me crazy. Uh, wouldn't do it. Wouldn't, you know, got, got no sense of fun here. No sense of naughtiness.
2: So you were, wait, real quick, you were talking about how uh, Bob Hoskins had sort of act opposite nothing but air. But do you know that actually Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit, when he was doing the, the voices off-camera... Off, uh, he was dressed in full, like, he was dressed like Roger Rabbit with the overalls and everything else like that. He very much got into this. Yes, he,
0: he, he did. He, he, uh, he, he got into the overalls and, and the white thing and the ears, but he wasn't on stage. He had a microphone off stage so he could interact in real time. And Zemeckis came over and directed him, just like you would direct a, an actor to do that. Now, the funny thing about this, of course, is uh, now when the film is in post production, they don't like the voice of Benny the Cab, so they pull in Charles Fleischer to do the voice of Benny the Cab. So he does it the way that you would normally do it in an animated film or whatever. <laughs> is you're brought into a, a, a room and 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 you see that, and then you come up with, you know, the dialogue to, to match that that amount of space that you have, you know, to uh, to uh, fill that up. So,
2: do you remember actually, as long as we're staying in the studios, remember? Uh Way back when, over at SoundWorks, they used to have the uh, the movie mimic sec- section. So, if you wanted to try and do your best Jim Corcus doing Charles Fleischer, doing Roger Rabbit, you could actually try and impersonate him in that post area of the Monster Sound Show.
0: No, I did not know that.
2: You just do it at home for fun. I just do it at home
0: uh, for fun. <laughs> actually, one of your listeners, uh, it came it came up to me and 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 took me back a little bit. Said. Uh, oh, I love it when you're, you're on uh, Lou's show. I even like it when you do the funny voices. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I said, that's
2: my regular voice. <laughs> so let's, uh, we, we alluded to it briefly, but let's talk about sort of the Roger Rabbit that almost was um, here at, we'll call it the Disney MGM Studios, because he was so popular, it didn't make sense just to have some things that, look, a lot of stuff that we're talking about, Jim, 95% of the guests have probably never seen uh, or never looked up or mm-hmm. looked around for. But instead of just having a, a single attraction, a single meet and greet, why not just have your own Roger Rabbit land?
0: Uh, abs- absolutely. And and Eisner was thinking of that not just for MGM, but for uh, Disneyland. In fact, uh, those of you who go to Disneyland... Uh, frequently, you know, uh, on uh, uh, Main Street uh, over towards uh, uh, the right. You know, there's, there's still uh, uh, some uh, uh, backstage uh, uh, space back there. And so they were going to gut that and make it Hollywoodland featuring Roger Rabbit. So it would have some of the elements of uh, uh, the Disney MGM Studios, but there would be a huge section devoted to Roger Rabbit and that actually sparked. Well, let's. We're going to be expanding Disney MGM Studios from from day one. We see that this is not just a half-day park, you know. And so we've got this area planned out. So there was going to be a whole Maroon Studios uh, area, literally a Roger Rabbit land, which is where Sunset Boulevard. Uh, is today and and I've seen two versions I, I've seen one version where it was all Roger Rabbit and I've seen another version where it was uh, just like the plans for Hollywood land it was going to be uh, a, a sunset Boulevard and then at the end of Sunset Boulevard basically where rock and roller coaster is and all that would be that Roger Rabbit uh, uh, land and and there would be uh, uh, three major a- attractions, right, Lou?
2: Right. So you had the—you uh, would have had this—toontown this trolley, sort of a, a flight simulator, sort of taking you sort of on this wild ride through Toontown. Baby Herman's runaway baby buggy ride, which is the one that uh, mm-hmm. I think probably was mm-hmm. the most fun-looking of all. But where you sort of sit in these giant, oversized baby buggies going through uh, the, the Toontown Hospital, really inspired not by Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but the Tummy Trouble cartoon. Uh, and the Benny the Cab ride, a, a dark ride that eventually made its out, way out to Disneyland.
0: And you're absolutely right. Now, now, the Toontown Trolley was going to be much more amazing than just uh, Star Tours because besides the screen in front, you would have uh, uh, screens on the side. And literally, it's a runaway trolley. And so you're going through that motion simulator, of ro- and so you're literally in a cartoon. That, that That's what... Uh, 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 they wanted to create it, is that effect. And and as Lou said, the uh, uh, Baby Herman um, uh, baby buggy uh, uh, ride was going to be your typical dark ride and the ride vehicles were going to be uh, the baby buggies and it was based after uh, tummy trouble and you're going through uh, a hospital and the wild, wacky things. But, you know, Disney is such a visible target uh when that was announced, um, uh, 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 people were saying, well, why don't you just send it through a cemetery or an old people's home? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, people are dying in a hospital, and it, it, it you know, it, it's disrespectful for Disney to make fun of a ho- hospital, and, and, and uh, it's like, oh, wow. And Benny the Cab did become um, uh, the uh, cartoon spin, but Benny became his uh, brother or cousin, Lenny, (laughs) right? right? Because by the time Toontown opened, which was, uh, what, 93, 94, the memo had already gone out, no more Roger Rabbit, you know? Uh, 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 You know, stop those projects and anything uh, uh, that uh, uh, relates uh, to that. So, um, But of course, before it even got to that point, uh, Roger was... All over over the parks, uh, a lot of people uh, uh, tend to forget that he was um, in the uh, Kids of the Kingdom show on on, on the front stage at uh, of Cinderella's Castle over at the Magic Kingdom. Uh, that he popped up as a major uh, character uh, in Mickey's Starland. They ha- they had that little show where they're going to you know, uh, and Mickey has disappeared again. I guess Mickey disappears a lot, and Roger oh, has to get involved with. With finding that, but you know, and they would give out uh, these things. Uh, but 1991 was the beginning of um, uh, Walt Disney World's, uh, basically mag- Magic Kingdoms, but Walt Disney World's um, birthday celebration called a surprise ce- celebration. And Roger w- was part of that surprise. And so on the front of the press kit is his picture, Robert, uh, Ro- Robert, Roger literally went out on a uh, touring show around the country where, where you had, you know, the cute Disney kids dressed up in Roger costumes as well, performing with, uh, with uh, Roger um, for that to happen. Roger was the band leader in the Spectral Magic Parade, later replaced by uh, uh, the, Genie. Uh, the Genie, yes. So, um, you know, R- Roger was this
2: real major, major presence. Well, and that's the thing, you know, going back to the studios, we were talking before about sort of these immersive experiences that I think Cars Land, is sort of the first time we really see in a Disney park where you step foot into a movie, right? That's what this this Roger Rabbit's Hollywood Mm Land or the cartoon Hollywood was going to be It was really going to be based around the Toontown Depot, and there would have been the Terminal Bar and Grill. It would have been that same thing. Sunset Boulevard, according to the one sort of set of contour, would have been that same type of experience. You stepped foot onto this boulevard. You would have been stepping foot into a very immersive, 360-degree Roger Rabbit-type experience. But he wasn't just here. He wasn't just in the Magic Kingdom. He wasn't just touring the country. You know, lest we forget, Jessica's of Hollywood. You know, she was the person... Moving leg and all that welcomed you into Pleasure Island, and Jessica's of Hollywood, and and and, 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 and people wh- laugh. And, they think that we kid when we yeah. talk about Jessica's of Hollywood, like yeah. the Wizard of Bras in yeah. Disneyland. You know there was and there, there was a store inspired by Fredericks of Hollywood called Jessica's of Hollywood.
0: Yes, absolutely, and what a welcome that was! <laughs> if, if only we we could be welcomed that way today. You know, it, it, it would be a better place. And one of the things that you reminded me of that, that we forgot to, to mention on the Maroon Studios uh, 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 Roger Rabbit uh, land is they would have had red cars going up and down the block. So that would have been a, a ride. And that, that little uh, literally transformed a little bit into the jolly trolley they had in Toontown. And as you said, the terminal bar, which would have been a restaurant, yeah. and, and inside it wouldn't be just, oh, well, here's a restaurant and it's named Terminal Bar. It, it looks like the one in the movie, and, and then you're going to have, you know, uh, cartoon... Yeah, you, well, you'd have cartoon characters uh, popping up, and then, you know, uh, whether they'd be audio-animatronic or not, or whether they'd be stiff figures, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so literally, you would have been in Toontown, which it would have been uh, exceptional. And yes, Jessica... You know, how how uh, 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 wonderful would that have been? And, it, and Lou and I were just talking about the fact that uh, Disneyland Paris uh, uh, just a, uh, a month or two ago introduced a walk-around uh, Jessica character, which nobody seems to like. Now, people say any Jessica is a good Jessica, <laughs> but this is not a face character. This is a mask character, and so she's frozen with this one expression, and so... It just looks odd seeing this, but again, Disney will always change characters. You know, at at one time, uh, Mad Hatter was a was a head character, you know, rather than a rather than a a face character. You know, at at one time, the uh, uh, stepsisters were actually played by male actors, the ugly stepsisters from Cinderella. So things could change, but you know, was, out here there was no uh, Jessica. But yeah, Jessica's a Hollywood. And um, over at Pleasure Island, uh, originally that was a Dick Tracy shop, but Dick Tracy, Dick Tracy has a connection with uh, Roger Rabbit and explains why Roger Rabbit is not in the parks anymore. Uh, yes, and it also connects to Rocketeer. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It, 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 it is, it is. So, so we're going to get to that. But it was a Dick Tracy shop and then became Jessica's. And uh, Mark Medozian uh, is the one who, who did the Jessica's with the swinging lead. And inside there were cutouts of Jessica. And, and in the back there was this huge uh, door with a star on it, which was Jessica's. And yes, you could buy all sorts of Jessica uh, merchandise. You could even buy Jessica uh, tattoos that were called pressers because again I guess they were temporary and Disney doesn't sell tattoos so you know you 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 could put that on and then of course when when um, things went uh, sour with the Roger Rabbit uh, franchise they still moved Jessica uh, down to the end of uh, Pleasure Island she still welcomed people for for years and then uh, when um, Hyperion Wharf was announced and and I know we don't you know, talk about Hyperion Wharf anymore. But when Hyperion... They call it Disney Springs now. Disney Springs, yeah. Uh, Disney's middle name is Jello. It all changes. Uh, uh, what What was very sad for me is I actually got to see Jessica in a dumpster backstage. So I, I, I hope she went to one of the warehouses in, in, in Kissimmee where they store some of the Disney props, you know, waiting to be bought and, and restored. But, you know, because... Some things do survive. You know, the walk around Roger Rabbit costume does survive because um, Lou and I were were talking about this. Lou, when was the last time that a, a Roger Rabbit costumed character appeared in a United States Uh, Disney theme park.
2: Yeah, so I was going, you know, Tokyo in 96, 2003 in Disneyland, Mm -hmm. and I was completely wrong. I didn't realize how recently people got to see and how excited they got about seeing Roger Rabbit in the parks. Right. I don't know what this costume thing is you're talking about. They saw Roger Rabbit in the parks. Oh, that's true. (laughs) They saw Roger Rabbit in the parks, and that was uh,
0: this Easter out at uh, Disneyland, Easter week. Uh, as part of the uh, spring fling and the limited time magic surprise and whatever, uh, Disney used to have an Easter parade for crying out loud. They don't have it now. They have a regular parade, but uh, for ten minutes, fifteen minutes before the parade, they do trot out, you know, one float and and do a little eastery thing. And they had Brer Rabbit and they had Rabbit from Winnie the Pooh, and uh, they they had these on this float coming out. But in the middle of the street, they have Roger Rabbit, and I remember a, a big part of the Easter Parade was Roger Rabbit singing and leading everybody in, you know, uh, the, the the bunny hop, the rabbit hop, you know, hop hop hop. And uh, so this time, Roger didn't Roger didn't sing. You didn't use the the Fleischer uh, uh, Charles Fleischer uh, uh, soundtrack. You you had the the little Disney. Uh, host up on the float, you know, leading people uh, along, but there's Robert uh, Roger in the street, and he's leading people in doing uh, uh, the, the Easter uh, bunny hop, you know, hop, hop, hop. One woman on the East Coast heard about this, flew out with her kids to Disneyland on almost the last day just so her kids could do on Main Street the bunny hop with Roger. And Roger, after the, after the uh, little bunny hop, was quickly shoved uh, backstage. No meet and greet, no autographs, anything like that. So the Roger Rabbit costume still exists to the
2: point where it can be used. So let's sort of, you know, wrap things up with talking about Let's sort of talk about the sustainability, 25 years later, of Roger Rabbit, right? I, I still love the film. I've introduced my kids to the film. We are starting to see... Uh, Roger still exists here, but he sort of always still, still exists to a certain degree via Jessica Rabbit, right? She's on Big Figs, Mini Big Figs. There's a whole new line of sort of retro, sort of World War II era-looking T-shirts. With listen, you, Je- Jessica can't die, you know, right? Many people are sort of holding on to their love of Jessica, like Jim Corkus. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about the sustainability of Roger the franchise, right? There, there's been talks again about uh, bringing this this idea of the sequel back, right? Can Roger Has Roger sustained itself? Can he be reintroduced? And is there a possibility of seeing him come back to the parks again? Not in the way that Eisner wanted to do it as part of the Disney decade, being Mickey's sidekick, but coming back into the parks, having some sort of presence here again.
0: See, and I'm the wrong person to le- ask because... I is, really... he,
2: is he a Muppet for a for new generation? Can we sort of bring this idea of Roger coming back? Because I really didn't care for
0: Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I, I loved everything else. You love I, Jessica. Or you I love, I Jessica love the Rabbit, concept. Or... I love the other characters and all that. And again... You know, with Roger Rabbit, everybody looks at that and says, well, that's the beginning of the animation renaissance in 1988, where animation is now turned around. It's not just for kids anymore. It's for families. It's for adults. All of that. Disney has rewritten history. Well, Be- and- Because now it doesn't begin with Roger Rabbit. Right. It all began with a mermaid.
2: Right, and that's my question to you was, what? look, before Roger Rabbit, there was not a great track record of what was going on. Did Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and all and Aladdin, did they kill Roger Rabbit? Because they were so successful, it, it sort of didn't necessitate the need
0: for a Roger Rabbit sequel. They killed it because they were less expensive. So instead of paying 50 percent to Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment, and Amblin Entertainment is still exists as an entity, even though uh, Spielberg is with uh, DreamWorks. It was cheaper to put in something that was Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast than to pay the 50% to Spielberg. And, you know, the problem with that was when there was merchandise on property, you had to keep two books. You had to keep a book for regular merchandise, and then you had to keep a set of books for any merchandise that featured anything that was Roger-oriented. You know, and, you know, Tummy Trouble came out, was released with uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Huge hit, and everybody figured that including the Roger Rabbit cartoon with that, you know, uh, by golly, that's what, you know, added to the extra uh, take of Honey, I, Sh- I Shrunk the uh, the Kids. So the next one, um, uh, Roller Coaster Rabbit, uh, done out here, you know, if you put that in front of a, a film, you're going to up the, uh, because Roger Rabbit is so, you know, important, it's going to up the uh, 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 take that you get, especially opening weekend. And so what happens is Disney has a film coming out, and Spielberg has a film coming out. Disney has Dick Tracy coming out. They think it's going to, you know, it's going to need some help because it's gone over budget. They want that. Spielberg has um, uh, 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 a, a film uh, coming out from Amblin. That's the first film being released by Disney through its. Uh, Hollywood Pictures title and it's uh, 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 a faraway place Reese with- Witherspoon is in it Spielberg uh, wants it but because it's being released by Disney Disney pulls or Eisner pulls uh, you know uh, uh, authority and says no it's going out with Dick Tracy we've got two Disney mm-hmm. films we're releasing it goes out with this and uh, the, no it wasn't a, a, a far away uh, place it was arachnophobia Spielberg had mm-hmm. arachnophobia coming out And um, uh, Far Away Place was uh, uh, the last Roger Rabbit film. But uh, so arachnophobia tanked at the box office. It could have used Roller Coaster Rabbit. Uh, Dick Tracy didn't do quite as well as it wanted either. But but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And Spielberg was looking to get even. So out here in Florida, they worked on another Roger Rabbit short called A Hair in My Soup. So Roger and baby Herman and his mother go into a a restaurant. Uh, The mother goes to the bathroom. Baby Herman follows a chef into the kitchen. And so you don't want to see what happens in a restaurant's uh, kitchen for your your food there. So this is almost completed. And Spielberg steps in and goes, no, I can't approve this story. And that short would have been released with Rocketeer, Mm. which could have used a Roger Rabbit short. Uh, uh, to do it. And so um, this is where tensions are starting to come. And so uh, they make uh, the third Roger Rabbit uh, um, uh, short trail mix-up, and that's the one that goes off with uh, uh, a faraway place, the uh, Reese Witherspoon uh, one. And, again, doesn't help the box office. And and you can see that Roger's uh, attraction is starting to wane. But what happens at this point is Eisner says... I can't work with this guy. And so uh, Pete Emsley, who, who did the artwork uh, for the uh, uh, 20th uh, uh, celebration um, of Magic Kingdom, and they had the party-gras mm-hmm. parade with the 45-foot float Roger Rabbit, Pete Emsley said, I had just finished the artwork for the press kit, and a memo came uh, from Eisner that across country, uh, company we were to stop anything connected with Roger Rabbit. And so that's 92 and and so, is Roger Rabbit familiar to, to people today? Would it go across? And Eisner tried to do an end run around, too, created uh, Bonkers' the uh, Bobcat, 1993. In fact, Bonkers popped up in Mickey's Starland show, too. And, Everybody and this, remembers
2: Bonkers' the Bobcat. Who
0: looks exactly like Roger Rabbit, except that he's a cat, and he is less charismatic. And... Um, you know, I, I, I find, I, I, I don't like Roger's voice. I find that Roger is Roger really doesn't seem to have a character of his own. But I, I, I think maybe if they reinvented Roger a little bit, maybe for today's audience it would work. A rapping, breakdancing, boy
2: band, Roger <laughs>
0: <laughs> That looks just like Adventure Time. That,
2: uh, you know... Uh, so, so, yeah, because we don't, you know, we're not hearing a lot about the 25th anniversary of Roger Rabbit. You know, Disney likes to celebrate yeah. uh, anniversaries, of special commemorative ones 25, 50, 75. We're not hearing a lot about Roger. Is it because of the, you know, the, the split between sort of the ownership of it or is it just the character himself? And maybe, you know, Roger's not destined. He did not sort of live up to what his potential destiny was.
0: See, I, I think it's a mixture of both. But I, I do think there is hope for Roger because I think the concept is so appealing The the concept of a Toon town is, is 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 iconic uh Jessica rabbit for crying out out loud you know uh you know she is just I think she's just imprinted on people's uh, uh subconscious you know even though she was based after uh, um uh, Tex Avery's uh, Little Red Riding Hood character from his MGM cartoons and all that. I think a Roger Rabbit could be a huge uh, uh, success uh, today, just like I think Oswald could be a huge success. But Disney doesn't seem to
2: know well, what to I, do I, with him. That's what I was thinking. I said, you know, Disney has sort of taken this character of Oswald that was sort of the the there's the, the sort of a romance to the story about mm-hmm. how getting Oswald back. But look at how popular. Oswald became so much that so you couldn't get Oswald ears, you couldn't get Oswald plushes because of the way they brought him back. I, I'm wondering if they are able to do that, or do they want to do that with a character like Roger?
0: Well, I, I think maybe what they would want to do is buy back that 50% from Spielberg. But, but again, we're into a rough period of time now. You see that Disney has. Uh, announced all the films that it's going to be releasing, and a lot of those dates conflict with uh, dates that, of DreamWorks projects that have already been. Well, what announced. a coincidence! What a coincidence! <laughs> you know. Uh, so, uh, are, are we going to start to see uh, an animation war uh, again here? And uh, again, I don't know whether Steven Spielberg is really even interested in the, in the character and all that. And and there have been so many different. Uh, proposals uh, tossed out there for, uh, for sequels, a- again, it becomes an expensive proposition. But
2: is Roger Rabbit not worth it? Is he not worth the time and the effort and the money and all the other considerations that have to go into it? And, and
0: do you then, just as in the movie, do you pull in characters from other studios? Now, one of the reasons that was able to get done is because of the, the pull of Steven Spielberg. So, he was able to get those characters at like 5000 bucks each, which is a steal. And even then, he couldn't get some of them. He couldn't get Tom and Jerry. He couldn't get Mighty Mouse and... Popeye. Popeye. Popeye wasn't in there. uh, uh, (laughs) And they they
2: obviously had to... You know, Warner Brothers agreed they would only let their characters be in if they shared the same amount of screen time. So Donald and Daffy are on screen at the same time. Mickey and Bugs are there sharing the the same amount of screen time.
0: And and you know, with costumed characters, the, the rule of thumb is you cannot pose with another character, even if it's Santa Claus, let alone Woody Woodpecker. You cannot pose with another character because Disney universes are, um, are separate. You know, uh, even the, the official rule on merchandise for um, Disney princess merchandise, I don't know if they still follow this, but the original rule was, yes, you could have all of the princesses together, but they couldn't look at each other. They could look in the direction of the other princess, but they couldn't look at each other because then worlds collide. It's they like all... a disruption of the space-time continuum. That's right. And so <laughs> so does Roger work because you're pulling in characters from other studios, or is it just the concept of of humans and tunes together that work? I, I know that Gary Wolf, you know, has has uh, uh, written a uh, second sequel uh, to his first Roger Rabbit book. He's, he's also promoting that uh, you know, that he's, he's written a, a, a screenplay called The Stooge, mm-hmm. which would be Mickey and Roger together. I, I don't think the Disney studio, that's even on their radar. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think there is hope uh, for Roger, but I, I think he needs to be uh, re-looked at in terms of what made this character, what made this movie uh, uh, appealing and amazing.
2: And will, as part of the 25th anniversary, will he be reintroduced and maybe loved by a new generation of kids or maybe people who didn't know about Roger uh, before. And I would love to hear from people who are listening their thoughts on Roger Rabbit, the film, the character, his presence in the parks. Would you like to see Roger come back in any or all of those different forms, you know, in, in those different mediums, uh, in person, in the parks, uh, in another film, whatever it may be? I, I think you're right. I don't think we're going to see, as Disney is... is As we speak trying to reintroduce mickey to a whole new generation and younger audiences on sort of the disney channel i don't think they're going to do it with him holding hands uh, necessarily Mm. with roger rabbit that final scene of who framed roger rabbit shows us jim that we all can get along no matter what studio we may be coming from uh listen i love having you come on and help us sort of look at not just the details and why they're here and what they mean and connect the dots but really the fact that you're able to connect it to the stories and the peoples and the, and the character and the history, that's what makes these parks so rich. That's that level of storytelling and detail that goes into here. and That's why I love having you come on to help people not just recognize it, but appreciate it and hopefully pay it forward and share those stories with other people. Just the way you're doing, here comes the shameless plug in not just your new book, Who's Afraid of Song of the South, all about Song of the South. We talked about that a couple of months ago on the show, but your revised Walt, Vault of Walt, which has stories about everything from Walt Disney himself to Disneyland, animation, Walt Disney World, and so much more. I'm going to put links in the show notes where you guys can go get those books at Amazon.com. And uh, as always, my friend, it is such a pleasure having you here.
0: And thank, And as you know, who's afraid? Of the Song of the South has an entire chapter to, devoted to Jessica. So <laughs> so you, you should, can uh, pick that up. Lou, always a pleasure. And, and yes, folks, he's as nice in person as... Uh, uh, you hear him on this podcast. In fact, he just took me uh, to, to Brown Derby, picked up the tab, you know, and uh, uh, Luke, we got to do this more often, buddy. We got to do this more
2: often. I agree. We need to go to the Brown Derby more often because I love my Cobb salad uh, <laughs> and I love my Jim Corcus, And I think because it's staring us in the face and it has a connection, I think we need to have a PB's Polar Pipeline frozen Coke. Sounds good to me. In the shadow of the Maroon Studios. And
0: and and the and the, the shadow of the Holly Vermont uh, Realty Company Walt's first uh, you know a- animation a, studio. Who's afraid of Roger Rabbit? That's the real question. That's ooh. That, ooh what a great <laughs> title for an article. <laughs>